In light of the recent passing of Queen Elizabeth II, I thought it'd be timely to research one of the most important gowns the Queen would have worn during her lifetime, her wedding dress, because at the end of the day, yes, she was a royal and a princess and eventually the longest serving British monarch, but underneath it all, she was simply a young woman in love with her handsome prince. That's what I see anyway, amidst all that pomp and pageantry of her wedding. And let's not forget, the wedding occurred at the end of World War II, a time of scrimping, saving and clothing coupons in an austere, deprived and downcast post-war Britain. My focus will be on her gown, how it was created, the embroidery that was produced specifically for her and the symbolism behind the design. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Kathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. Weddings are a time of huge celebration and British royal weddings are a tour de force of organisation, protocols, history, diplomacy as well as family with many often now televised globally. But they also demand grandeur and splendour on an extraordinary scale and the marriage of Princess Elizabeth to Philip Mountbatten was no exception. This was a country and people coming out of all the difficulties of a draining and long-running world war. This wedding and Princess Elizabeth's wedding dress had to help uplift and comfort a nation. It had to serve as a grand escape from the economic hardships that so many people, her soon-to-be subjects, endured in the aftermath of World War II. And that must have been extremely difficult to achieve on clothing coupons, which were still in force in Britain at that time. Clothing coupons were a form of rationing to enable the British government to redouble its resources on the war effort and were in use from 1941 till 1949. Each year, 66 clothing coupons were allocated to every man, woman and child, with every item of clothing having a coupon cost attached to it. Coats, for instance, cost 16 coupons, a jacket 13, trousers 8, a shirt 5, and so on. 
And it was Queen Victoria in her unusual decision to wear a white lace gown for her wedding to Prince Albert in 1840 who began the era of wearing a white bridal gown that has continued to this very day. Why? Because she wanted to highlight the handmade lace that she had chosen. Norman Hartnell, the royal household's couturier of choice, was up to the challenge. His preference was for intricate embroidery and he knew how to highlight that perfectly in this exceptional wedding dress. But before I go any further, I have read and recommend a fabulous book written by Jennifer Robson, published in 2018 by HarperCollins, titled The Gown. It's an historical work of fiction centred around this famous wedding dress, weaving a fascinating story not only about the gown, but also the women who made it. But located at the end of the book is an absolute gem, a 2017 interview between the author and a seamstress, Mrs Betty Foster, who actually worked on Princess Elizabeth's wedding gown in 1947. As so often happens, we know very little about the people who create the exquisite embroidery. So this interview is of huge interest. So top marks to Jennifer Robson for finding Betty Foster and taking the time to talk with her. Betty began working for Normal Hart, uh, Norman Hartnell as an apprentice in 1942 when she was just 14. She was one of the last apprentices to go directly into the workroom. Others who followed had all been to college, so Betty more or less learnt from the ground up. And according to Betty, the princess had only two fittings for her dress. The pieces were drafted and cut, sent to the embroidery room before being returned to the workroom for final construction. After the second fitting, the seams were reworked as the embroidery couldn't be completed until the dress had been properly fitted. The royal ladies, including Queen Mary, visited the workshop wanting to see the dress being made. And Betty recollects that they all practiced their curtsies, resulting in bobbing heads going up and down at odd times in the workroom. Betty's job was to make the sleeves and all 22 buttonholes on the back of the dress. Having never made a, button a buttonhole before, Betty practised on a piece of off-cut of the actual fabric she had the foresight to collect before the scraps were thrown out. And the other girls in the workroom were told not to speak with Betty while she was practising. <clears throat> Her work was checked before Betty was allowed to stitch directly onto the dress itself and, amazingly, Betty kept these uh, practice pieces in a scrapbook along with a button, a strip of delicate horsehair buckram that lined the gown's billowing skirts and wispy samples of the silk tulle used for the embroidered train. Miss Holliday, the senior seamstress who was in charge of Hartnell's workroom, allowed other girls to work a stitch or two so they could also say they'd worked on the dress too. 
Just before it was delivered to Buckingham Palace, the staff were assembled to see the finished gown along with the eight bridesmaids' dresses that had been made up in other workrooms. It was the first time they had seen all the dresses together. Betty recalled that the gown was delivered to Buckingham Palace on her wedding day, respecting the tradition that it would be unlucky to try it on beforehand, so it was unknown if the dress would fit properly till the morning Princess Elizabeth was married. And fortunately it did. Even after all this time, Betty remembers and firmly believes that the embroidery made the dress. It was like something out of a fairy tale, she said in the interview. Sir Norman Bishop Hartnell, 1901-1979, was a leading British fashion designer who was closely associated with the royal family and was best known for his graceful, feminine, romantic designs. And the final design was chosen by Princess Elizabeth's mother. Made only three months before the wedding, in today's terms that would be considered a rush job, Hartnell wanted it to be the most beautiful dress he had so far made. Designing a royal wedding dress is one of the highest honours for a fashion designer. Hartnell's initial design sketches, now worked so long ago, are still stunningly beautiful and fresh. And in a royal nod to the longevity and popularity of Hartnell's designs, in 2020, Princess Beatrice wore the Norman Hartnell dress designed for and worn by her grandmother, Queen Elizabeth II, for the 1962 premiere of the film Lawrence of Arabia. Hartnell's inspiration for Princess Elizabeth's dress came from Botticelli's painting Primavera, resulting in flowing lines with embroidered stars and garlands of flowers using silver thread, along with delicate crystals and more than 10,000 seed pearls imported from the United States. Sandro Botticelli's Primavera, Italian for spring, features Flora, the goddess of spring, and Venus, the goddess of love and beauty, the perfect combination of themes for a new beginning, both for a royal wedding and a recovering war-torn country. The painting was created in the late 1470s or early 1480s and is described as one of the most controversial paintings in the world. But it's also one of the most popular paintings in Western art. Most critics agree this is an allegory on the lush growth of spring, a theme that fits perfectly with Hartnell's vision for the dress. This romantic Renaissance painting draws on a number of classical and literary sources and may well have been commissioned by the Medici family. Like the painting, the gown was an evocation of spring, symbolising rebirth and growth in a post-war Britain. It was a symbol of hope for a Britain recovering from post-war austerity. 
350 women worked on this dress at Hartnell's Fashion House in Mayfair for two months to bring his design to fruition. There was a 15-foot train, the fabric was woven in Essex, featuring a star pattern and a carefully tailored bodice, all of which had to be paid for using clothing ration coupons, dutifully saved by the young princess, along with 200 extra coupons gifted to her from the British government. Elaborate embroidery was a Hartnell signature and he certainly made this a feature on the gown. Although Hartnell didn't tell the princess at the time, he also included a lucky four-leaf shamrock on the left side of the skirt so that her hand would rest upon it during the ceremony. Many of the young princess's admirers sent her coupons, all of which had to be returned with a thank you note as transferring coupons was illegal. The gown was conventional in its silhouette with a sweetheart neckline and long fitted sleeves. However, what set it apart was the embroidery. Exquisite pearl and diamante encrusted star flowers, York white rose-like blossoms, smilax, lilac, jasmine blossoms, all skillfully combined with flowing lines of wheat ears, the symbol of fertility embroidered onto the gown's bodice, full skirt and ethereal silk tulle train. Around the hem of the dress was a border of orange blossom, applique with transparent tulle outlined in seed pearls and crystals. The embroidery design was created alongside the house's head embroideress, Miss Flora Ballard. This regal dress was made of ivory silk using silkworms from China, not Japan or Italy given the recent events of World War II, as well as damask brocade from Damascus, Syria. The brocade fabric, woven with 12 karat gold thread, featured embroidery of two lovebirds exchanging kisses in a local pattern known as the lover and the beloved and was a gift from the Syrian president. Unfortunately, the dress has deteriorated considerably over time and the weight of the embroidery has dragged the skirt down, increasing the strain on the weave. But like any wedding dress of any era, Princess Elizabeth's dress was eagerly awaited by the British public. Yet, it had to be kept secret. All the seamstresses and embroiderers were sworn to secrecy to protect details of the dress leaking to the press. And such was the interest even then that the windows of Hartnell's premises in Bruton Street, Mayfair had to be whitewashed and hung with curtains to protect the dress from prying eyes and camera lenses. Betty Foster recalls that Americans had rented the flat opposite so they might be able to get a glimpse of the dress. On the wedding day, this Renaissance-inspired dress glittered and sparkled, bejeweled with pearls in designs imbued with rich symbolism. The perfect pick-me-up for a post-war Britain, treading 
the very fine line between extravagance and elegant simplicity that was somehow fitting for those austere times. It appears Hartnell and the women of the royal household well understood that this dress needed to reflect the mood of the nation, giving the people some much-needed relief from the austerity that had been in place for over eight years, without showing an overt sense of excess. And in 2016, when both Queen Elizabeth's wedding dress and her coronation gown were both on display at Buckingham Palace as part of her 90th birthday celebrations, Betty Foster was again able to see the dress, saying to the Telegraph, I had forgotten how beautiful it was with that exquisite train and how small the princess was. Betty also revealed that on my way home from the wedding celebration in 1947, I remember everyone on the train was talking about that dress and I felt so proud to have worked on it. Well, they achieved their aim. The silk tulle veil, shorter than the train, held in place by a diamond fringe tiara from her mother, created a diaphanous, halo-like romantic surround for the beautiful bride, not only allowing the embroidery to be the star of the show, but also giving a nod back to Sandro Botticelli's tender painting, uh, painting Primavera, worked so many centuries ago. Princess Elizabeth and Prince Philip were married in front of 2,000 people with the event recorded and broadcast by BBC Radio to 200 million people worldwide. This dress has truly stood the test of time. It was a triumph and still stands strong amongst ever-changing trends. It was the ultimate dress for its time and for the pretty young princess who wore it. Hartnell's design, the embroidery and the work of 350 women served their princess and their country well. Wedding dresses are so emotive even now, but I can imagine the honour and the stress that would have suffused Hartnell's workrooms in equal measure during those frantic three months in 1947. Imagine being able to say you'd worked on a Queen's wedding dress. Wow. Thank you for your time. As always, it's truly appreciated. But wait, there's always more to come in 2022, so do stay tuned and subscribe. Stitch Safari's now reached over 9,500 downloads, and that's all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Welp Magazine and listed in the top five textile industry podcasts as at January 2022 by Feedspot. And I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast. There's just so much more to discover and it's also fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time, as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over.
till the next exciting episode of Stitch Safari and our next inspiring adventure into stitch, embroidery and design. Bye for now.